1: Welcome to the Insurance Coffee House USA, the place where you get the chance to meet and learn from some of the most successful insurance business leaders in America. My name is Nick Hoadley and I'm the CEO of Insurance Search. We specialize in helping insurance businesses grow and multiply their growth by attracting, recruiting and retaining the highest performing insurance professionals in the country. Each week in the coffee house, we interview leading insurance business leaders and discover how they achieve their success, learn what advice they have for other aspiring insurance business leaders, and we discover what makes their business an attractive proposition for high-performing talent. This week, we are joined by Brett Godwin, the COO of Sterling Seacrest Partners. Welcome to the show, Brett. Hey, Nick. Good morning. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you joining us today, Brett. Really looking forward to hearing your insights into the insurance industry and finding out a lot more about what you're doing there at Sterling Seacrest. Brett, before we move on to that, can I just ask you to give the listeners a little bit more of a background into your career and and how you've reached the COO position at Sterling Seacrest?
0: Sure. Uh, thanks, Nick. After a uh, very brief stint in retail and bless everyone in retail after uh, college and working lots of weekends and holidays, I, I was able to land a, an underwriting job with Aetna Life and Casualty back in the early 90s. And So my insurance career background largely is based uh, in underwriting. And so I had a variety of underwriting and underwriting leadership roles from Aetna to Hartford and ultimately to, to Hanover. And in Hanover, I transitioned into much more of a strategic role and working with some MA and a work, uh, doing a lot of big data work and, and a, a variety of different strategic things. And ultimately, you know, that led me then to this CEO position at Sterling Seacrest. And I think we'll talk a little bit about that transition and why that occurred. But uh, it's been a fantastic
1: transition. But, uh, you know, I've had a lot of great experiences along the way in insurance for sure. Great. Thank you, Brett. And how is business at the moment would you mind just giving our listeners a little bit more of an insight into the history of the business and where you are with the business today?
0: Yeah, no, great question. We, we are, uh, you know, we're, we're we're really, I think, in the catbird seat as a large independent agent. So uh, as you know, there's been a lot of consolidation in our space, right? And so much due to, one, private equity money coming into the space and really driving acquisitions, but two, a lack of perpetuation. And yeah. so full credit to the folks here at Sterling Seacrest for building the foundation of a well-perpetuated agency. So, so we have you know no worries about needing to sell. And that puts us in a really envious position where we're very large and we have the capabilities of all the nationals and, and those big uh, insurance brokers, right? But we're also uh, very nimble and flexible and can do those things of a privately held firm. So we're, we're, I think, really in a very envious
1: position. And what are the plans for the business over the next five years or so?
0: Yeah. I, so again, I, I hate to sort of put a number on it, but we did set out on a ten-year plan back in 2017 to get from at the time, which was 35 million in revenue to 100 million in revenue, roughly an 11% uh, growth rate, uh, and you know we're we're uh, well ahead of that pace. And uh, really, three pronged growth strategy, which is obviously acquisitions, which are quite frankly, tricky and expensive, you know, just good old-fashioned organic growth. But really, the primary strategy, as it's turned out over the last three years, has been what we call producer takeouts, finding those experienced salespeople uh, and getting them to join our firm. And Hopefully, we'll talk a little bit about what's unique about Sterling Seacrest, and that's really offering an objective path to partnership. And that really is a huge differentiator for us.
1: Great. Thank you, Brett. I think it's always good for our listeners to get a bit of a insight into the background and the perspective that you have on things before we go into our questions. starts start us off, what's your go-to coffee of choice in the morning, Brett? I'm really going to throw you for a loop.
0: And uh, my, my wife is also a Brit, as you know, and she cringes at this, but it's unsweet iced tea. So she doesn't understand why I put ice in my tea, uh, but I do. So uh, we have a, a wonderful fast food chain here called Chick-fil-A. And so Chick-fil-A unsweet iced tea is my morning go-to.
1: Well, Brett, I can honestly say that that answer has not come up so far in the insurance today. <laughs> but, uh. but it's great to hear that variety anyway. and Possibly down there in in Atlanta, where you're based, more called for there than it yeah. than it is in London in October right now. So
0: N- next next time you make your English breakfast tea, throw some ice cubes in it and see what you think. Yeah.
1: Okay. I'll, I might just uh, <laughs> give that a go, Brett. Thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> Okay, Brett, to start us off. How did you break into the C-suite position that you have now? And how did you find that transition from your previous role where you might maybe be more client focused or more technical focused?
0: Yeah, I, I would say it was more of a, a, a slow march upward than a than a break-in, right? And I think quite frankly, that's probably how most people it happens. And uh, you know, I was very lucky to to make this transition, and I think what's relevant to the question is, uh, as I think a lot of people face this. I was working for a very large, you know, six billion dollar company, thousands of employees, to transition to an independent, privately held firm of two hundred employees, right? And that's a very dramatic uh, transition. Uh, so I think yeah, there's both good and bad in that. And so the the really uh, great thing for me personally and selfishly, it was just a wonderful set of new business challenges, right? And so that was super refreshing. Uh, the second you know part of that is seeing the impact of what you do every single day. every decision matters, right? That's really exciting, right? Um, the tricky part of that was I came from a very big corporate culture. And so probably rightfully so is accused of being too corporate. Right. And so really the lesson there, I think, is is really understanding the culture you're going into uh, and being aware of that and, and really taking the time to understand and learn that that culture and, and making sure you're sensitive to that.
1: Yeah, great. How do you find that transition from a larger corporate into a independent agency? Yeah,
0: yeah I, I, I've had a, a blast Uh, And again, I'll answer this somewhat selfishly, you know, living in Atlanta, Georgia and working for a company and with a national role based in Worcester, Massachusetts, you know, my understanding and impact on the community was fairly negligible. But here it's very relevant. You know, I'm on a board here in in town with a a local nonprofit. Uh, So my wife, you know, understands what I I do and and sees what we do in Sterling Secret a known brand in the community and so selfishly again that um that has been uh, an incredible uh change right uh and just a wonderful group of uh of people uh and you know it's just really nice to be part of the fabric of
1: atlanta yeah so the fr- the fruits of your work are a lot more tangible down there right. you see see the impact you're having that's, that's right great. what would you say has been the biggest achievement so far in your leadership career
0: yeah, so I would would point to what I would call a happy accident. Uh, and so in my career at Hanover, um, I was asked to, to lead a project to really extract uh, data to do these, what we would call like book roles, which is you know take a bunch of business from an agent, transition it from one insurance company to another insurance company. We'll come to find out, the data you need to facilitate such a transaction at the time, and probably still to this day, doesn't exist in a really easy format to do that. But along that journey, what we did do is we extracted uh, a bunch of information out of the agency management system and then flipped the dynamic and turned it into a, what was essentially a consulting exercise to help agencies understand their economics better, right? So at the time, it was called the Optimizer. It's now Hanover's Agency Insight Tool. Uh, And so agents just really latched onto that because it it was very difficult for them to understand their data and understand their economics very easily because of some deficiencies in agency management systems. So we took that. And it's amazing, really, what you can do with a couple of smart 25 year olds. Right. And and we turned it into a big data project. We aggregated a whole bunch of agents data. So it gave important insights to Hanover. We identified business that, that could easily move into Hanover's appetite. And it really became, you know, both a consulting exercise, but a huge generator of new business for for Hanover still to this day. Uh, And so it was just a happy accident where there was an opportunity here, we thought, but it turned into a a totally different opportunity and just, you know, having the vision to see that. And so a lot of really good, smart people uh, and full credit to Hanover for giving me some latitude to spend some money to, to figure that out, right?
1: It sounds like a very exciting and, and, and worthwhile project, right? In terms of your personal career, have you have you ever been overlooked for a position and how did you go about dealing with that? Yeah,
0: um, absolutely. And um, I would challenge anybody that probably hasn't been, right? Or at least you, you've perceived. Uh, the thing I w- I think about in this question, because I do think about it a lot, uh, particularly now flipping the equation and looking at hiring other managers, and executives is we, we often fall in love with a shiny new toy that's not in your agency instead of taking the time to, to develop what we already have internally and in your position you probably hate that answer sorry but uh but but I do think uh, you know companies should first look at what they have right and yes it might be painful you need to you know, promote somebody and let them fail ultimately to succeed, uh, and that can be difficult. Versus falling in love with that shiny toy, toy for sure. Um, but absolutely, that that certainly is happening.
1: Yeah, I I actually agree with you on that point. And I I think from any prospective talent coming into the business, they need to be able to see that you are retaining the best talent that you have yeah. there already and giving them those opportunities so yeah. i think that works both ways actually and, and does certainly help with external talent attraction yeah. as well yeah and,
0: it, and nick if i could add like yes or how do you react to that i think you can have two reactions you can get bitter or you can get better mm. right and so hopefully i have and i would encourage everybody to get better mm. and so what is that personal development that that you need to do to, to get even better than you are today. And I had a very wise man, you know, i said, well, you know, why aren't you developing me? And and, and he looked back and he says, well, I'll, I'm happy to build you a development plan, but ultimately you have to develop you. Right. And so don't wait for your company to develop you, but, but work with them on a development plan, but ultimately you have to put the energy into that extra education, and extra
1: development. Yeah. All about taking control of your own, Development of that's That's right really important. Brett, how is the business using new technology or implementing digital change to help your customers deal with risk and exceeding their expectations from you as a business? Um,
0: The first thing I would caution everybody or think about is is if you don't have a talent, all the shiny toys in the world don't matter. And so we focus focus first and foremost on on really making sure that we we have talent to really manage and effective and think strategically about that technology. That being said, the root of your question is customers more so than ever expect things quickly and they expect the process to be easy, right? So where we have really gone are are in those two areas. What can we do to make the insurance process, which is notoriously tedious and cumbersome, uh, easier and slicker? And so I'll, I'll give a shout out to just an example of a product called India, which we, we now engage with. Which um, you, you most of our listeners are probably familiar with. You know, you might have these you know four different applications for different lines of insurance, and they all ask the same questions. They want your address four times, and so essentially, it takes all of those questionnaires, squishes them into one, eliminates duplicate duplicate questions, and puts it in a web form. So then you send it out to your customers, and they're like, "Oh, this feels like." the Amazon buying experience or whatever. It's very simple. They don't ask answer repeat questions. The information comes back to us and splits it out into the relevant different applications that we get out to different carriers, right? Uh, and then come around the next year, you know, they simply, we send it back and we say, any changes? They say yes or they say no. And so the process is infinitely easier uh, where, gosh, just a year ago, we were sending a whole bunch of PDFs and people were having to print them and scribble on them and it was driving everybody crazy. That's just an example, but I think the the root of your question is, you know, today everybody I need things quick and I need it to be easy. Yeah,
1: hundred percent, absolutely. I, I know that's certainly what the the customers want. I think the balance sometimes can be with the regulatory aspects that obviously you you have to go through, which you know can cause a challenge with some of those technologies. But certainly, from a customers' perspective, they they want an easy buying process. Brett what do you see as the major challenges ahead for insurance executives and how that how should they adapt to be successful in these new challenging times
0: so I want to just tag off of that prior question right because I I I think in my space, again, the independent insurance space, what the cliche answer would be, well, insure, insure tech, right. Is going to eliminate the independent agent. Everybody's just going to buy online. Right. Uh, but I actually think that that's already changing dramatically. I've seen uh, a huge change in, in insure tech trying to disrupt what we do to trying to enable what we do. Yeah. Right. And that's been a dramatic shift just in the last two to three years but the root of your question is, what is the challenge? Well, the challenge now is we are absolutely bombarded with different insure tech opportunities. I mean, I, I get six, seven, eight emails a day. So how in the world do we sort through all that and figure out, you know, what should I be invested in and, and what should I not? So, so we have a couple of wonderful um, groups of peers And that's, again, another highlight of the independent insurance agents. We sort of all band together, right? Uh, And learn from each other. And so we're great at sharing, particularly, and there's a group called AssureX, there's a group called Intersure, and those two uh, groups are really good thought partners. And so, you know, if somebody else goes first on something, how did it go, is it worth? And so a lot of our technologies have really been a result of of understanding what other folks are doing and and how they're approaching those problems. So, you know, I call it our fast follower strategy else find something, they love it, okay, we'll grab that and we'll run with it.
1: That's awesome. And it's great to hear that those independent agencies are collaborating together like that.
0: Yeah. Another place I'd go is I was chatting with Jack Roach, the CEO of Hanover, a couple of weeks ago. Um, and this is entirely different, but the, the that employer-employee relationship is really changing. I hadn't really thought about it, but I think he's right. And, and you probably see this, Nick, in what you do, is... More so than ever, employees are choosing a lifestyle over job. And so you may have a talent, but that a talent says, well, I know the job's in Atlanta, but I'm going to live in Sedona, Arizona. And if you want me, you're going to have to accommodate that and my lifestyle out in Sedona and similar, you know, more work from home, more flexible work schedules, those things. The challenge, quite frankly, particularly for a firm like us who really values culture, we have a lot of young people people we need to train people we want to sort of inculcate in our culture uh, that's really tricky to navigate and i don't you know i don't know that i necessarily have a great answer other than you got to find that balance between schedules that enable you to facilitate a great culture but also meet the changing demands of of, of the employees so that's a really tricky
1: one yeah 100 brett thank you it's such such a great and in-depth answer there and i, th- I think a lot of insurance business leaders will be trying to figure that out as we speak we now turn to the espresso round I'm afraid we don't have any uh, iced tea today and a little bit on the cold side over here for for that today we're going over to the espresso round which is short sharp and straight to the point so can I ask you Brett are you are you ready for an espresso today (laughs) absolutely I'll find (laughs) you some more southern executives
0: that will get you some more iced tea people
1: (laughs) I'll be a convert within a year The espresso round. Brett, what are the characteristics about Sterling Seacrest that makes it such a great place to work at?
0: Yeah. uh, So, Sterling Seacrest has a great energy, right? It is a vibrant place, a lot of lifetime learners, people who are excited about insurance, excited about being risk managers, excited about helping customers. We do a lot of training our own folks. Uh, So we hire out of college, we train and develop. So it's got a really good, youthful, vibrant energy. Teamwork is another great characteristic. So we, just the way our model is set up, both in our bonus structure for service employees, as well as our partnership structure, is it incents everybody to help everybody win. There is no competition. I've never had a, a fight about, well, this is my account or that's my account. It just doesn't work that way because if one person wins, everybody wins. And the last thing I'd add is I know this is the Express round. It's just fairness. Our whole model is is built on really fairness and objectivity. So if you if you come here as a salesperson, we will offer you in your contract a very objective path to partnership. It's not, hey Nick, come join us, sell a bunch of stuff, and someday maybe we'll make you
1: partner. That's not how we work, and that's really born out of the history of this firm and people being treated unfairly. Thanks, Brad. I think that links really well to my next question, which is about the opportunities that you provide to high performing insurance professionals? How, how do you go about taking them down that career path to partnership?
0: Well, great. So, the, and there's really two paths, right? So we have a service path and a, and a sales path, right? And, and both of them have commonality, which is if you're a time learner and you really are excited about this business, you're going to thrive here. But those are two distinct paths. And so, you know, the service path Again, being a trusted risk advisor for your customers, and that path leads you into leadership and managing people if you want, or you can just be a tremendous subject matter expert, right, yeah. of our vertical. And the sales side, right, that path is towards partnership, and and really, you know, you're you're set a monetary objective, but there is a bit of subjectivity to it. We want you culturally to fit in. We want you to treat people the right way, treat carriers the right way. Um, but it but it is a very concrete number. Here's what you need to do to uh, to obtain partnership. Super attractive, because if you're with a bigger firm, there is no such thing as partnership. Mm-hmm. If you're with a smaller firm, often there's one or two shareholders that are hogging all the shares. They're not perpetuating, and they're not really interested in sharing that. And so you're doing all the work, but you're not sharing in the wealth, and that's uh, patently unfair.
1: That sounds fantastic, Brett. What are the top three skills and behaviors you look for when bringing in new talent into the business?
0: Yeah, Since I'm only allowed three, I'm going to steal from Patrick Lencioni and and use hungry, humble and smart. Uh, And so those three characteristics really fit well uh, with our core values here at Sterling Seacrest. Uh, And and so and by smart, really, I, I mean more people smart. Right, Obviously, you have to be intelligent. Um, But it's really that high EQ and really understanding how your thoughts and actions uh, fall on other people. Um, And and I would add, too, just as a leader here and a leader anywhere, uh, another piece of great advice I got is that self-awareness is the greatest characteristic in a leader. Really understanding how your thoughts, your actions, your words land on other people. Taking that little bit of extra time to read that email that you're going to send and really thinking through, well, sounds great to me, but how's it going to sound to everybody else? Yeah.
1: I think I think that's so, so important. I think you talk about smartness there, not necessarily being IQ or educational background, but actually the relationships that they build with their clients, the relationships they build with their colleagues, being really really smart is 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 key in the insurance industry. Right, that's
0: right. Being likable, you know, not not being, you know, I'm going to do things this way. Come to our high water, you know, that that flexibility is 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 super important i mean one of our you know
1: core values is is being selfless mm-hmm. right that's part of it too i think that's excellent flipping things the other way what what's the largest challenge you face when right. attracting new talent and what are the frustrations you get with that recruitment well, this,
0: unlike the other answer you're gonna love this answer right it's uh it's really getting the first meeting is the, the huge challenge, right? So we talked about this briefly earlier. There are so many people that are happy where they are, they're gamefully employed, they're doing a good job, and I've got a better opportunity for them. But how do I get them out of that paradigm and just to meet with us? If I can get them to sit in front of me, then we're 75% of the way home, right? So that's where folks like you come in, or quite frankly, you know, we do a lot of our own recruiting as well, as we're so networked, uh, you know, in all the cities that we're in. So, th- so that's huge. And I will say, though, too, it also takes some courage. So if you're gainfully employed at another place, and you know what you have, and that company is telling you, you're doing a great job, it takes some courage to leave, particularly, you know, if you've got a book of business and customers, and you have a two year non-compete or a non-solicit agreement, having the courage to, to, to jump and, and fortunately, we've had a number of, of very brave people do that. And ultimately, I, I
1: believe it's it's been and
0: I know it's been the right decision for them.
1: But it does take courage. It certainly does take courage and people have got to be able to identify that opportunity. So I think the your first point about educating those people to see what opportunities are out there, because, yeah, people are uh, happily employed somewhere. They're not going to be looking out for that next opportunity or, or somewhere where they could be doing better at?
0: One of the reasons I'm on this podcast, we, we do have an opportunity to tell our story that historically hasn't been there. So while well, I said it is very hard to get that first meeting, I do think it's a little bit easier than it used to be, because at least you can share something. Hopefully I've stumbled across some Sterling Seacrest content that says, huh, maybe I ought to go listen to to what they have to
1: say. Yeah. And what would your advice be to any insurance executives out there in the States at the moment, considering their next move, what would your advice be to them right now?
0: Yeah, so a piece of advice and then a shameless plug. Uh, so the piece of advice would be just understand culture, right? And I think I touched on it earlier. You may be a talented executive, but if you go to a culture that you're not going to thrive in, you know that that's going to backfire on you. So really taking time to understand the culture uh, of the opportunity you're looking at we've recently instituted a cultural interview so we have people interview candidates they have nothing to do they're not even related in any way to the job ultimately we're interviewing this person for their entire hour is just simply to find out or to think about is this person a good cultural fit for sterling seacrest it made a tremendous difference love that the person yeah the person can be super talented but ultimately if they are not going to fit in your culture it doesn't it doesn't matter and then the shameless plug it I mean, the independent agency world is wonderful. So, I mean, if you're looking for something, that's a little bit different. I mean, I, don't, I think in terms of both being lucrative and, and intellectually rewarding, you know, working at an independent agency, has got all of that. It's, it's tremendous.
1: Thank you, Brett. And that plug wasn't quite as shameless as I thought it was. was it? <laughs>
0: well, I, I could go even more shameless to talk about starting secrets, <laughs> but that feels a bit over the top.
1: Mm -hmm. thank you brett that's that's brilliant we've almost reached the end of our time together in the insurance coffee house usa today before we go there can i ask you just to leave that one piece of closing advice and then if our listeners do want to reach out to you after the show how do they go about contacting you
0: yeah so i would say the best piece of advice i can give everyone is just to stay relevant right so you know as Sadly, I've crossed the 50-year-old mark, right? Uh, And so I challenge myself every day to to try to stay relevant. Too often, I I come across folks, our carrier partners or other agencies who are still trying to do transact business like 20 years ago. Yeah. uh, And it just becomes painfully uh, aware. So again, part of it is unfortunate. Our culture is very, very young and energetic. I do have two small children at home. That helps stay relevant. But I, I would challenge everybody to spend the time understanding the technologies that are out there, the social media platforms that are out there to to help you and help your firm stay relevant. And then in terms of getting in touch with me, uh, I am a a power user of LinkedIn. So if you reach out to me on LinkedIn, I think that may be how we met quite frankly, is I I will uh, respond on LinkedIn. You can reach me at B. Godwin at S S P I N That's Sterling Seacrest partners insurance. That's that. uh, Or you can call uh, our Atlanta office uh, we do have offices in Atlanta, Savannah, Tampa, Birmingham, Little Rock, and Columbus, Georgia, but call Atlanta. Odds are Ella's going to answer the phone and just say, hey, Ella, find Brent. <laughs>
1: Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. And we will be sure to post all of those contact details on the show notes so our listeners can, can get in touch. And thank you for that last piece of closing advice. I think it really comes across how energetic and vibrant the firm is. I think I think a lot of people will find that very appealing, very inspiring. Brett, thank you so much for your time today. Really enjoyed having you in the insurance coffee house.
0: Well, thanks, Nick, and I hope you get over here so I can buy you a big iced tea.
1: Very much looking forward to, very much looking forward to that, Brett. That would be fantastic. And to all our insurance business leaders out there across the United States or overseas in the UK or internationally, we thank you for listening today, and we we're sure that you would have learned a lot from what Brett has been talking about today and the work he's doing there at Sterling Seacrest Partners. If you do enjoy the show, please leave us a review on your podcast app and remember to download and subscribe to the show so you receive brand new episodes into your podcast app each week. Till next time, I've been Nick Hoadley. This has been the Insurance House USA. Take care.
0: You've been listening to the Insurance House with Nick Hoadley. Join us next time to hear more insights and inspiring success stories to help you become a better insurance business leader. Available to download or subscribe now.